This is the Detroit Mercy Cybersecurity 313 Podcast. Hello, I'm Tamara Shoemaker, the Director of the Center for Cybersecurity and Intelligence Studies at the University of Detroit Mercy, and this is our 313 Podcast. And joining me today in our session is Chris Martella, a shareholder at Kemp Klein Law Firm and an alum of our cybersecurity grad program. Chris, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I am an attorney by trade, but uh, started my life in the the IT space with a software company overseas and have always had a love of IT, but my background really started there. I practiced law in a few places, including the Middle East, and now practice here in Detroit, where I spend most of my time doing real estate work and cybersecurity work. Uh, I know very diverse backgrounds, but uh, my tenure at UDM, thanks to Dr. Shoemaker and his graciousness, I am the first attorney to go through the program and graduate. And for the longest time was the only attorney that had gone through the program and obtained a master's degree in information assurance. As an advocate for the program, it's an excellent, excellent program. It is DOD certified. It checks all the right boxes when you want to practice in the area of cybersecurity. The sad reality in the world of the law, well, that's just not enough. you got to have that law degree, too. Something you can also get a UDM, I might add. But uh, for me, it has been an adventure. And as being part of both the steering committee, I thank you for giving me the opportunity to kind of Get on my soapbox and talk about the world of cybersecurity as it relates to the pandemic and working from home and where I see things going next. And that's a great point. So we're all online. Our program is all online. And Chris, I think you predate the whole all online piece. I do. I did sit in a classroom with teachers and real people and, oh my and got goodness. to. Had to really take notes and not just rely on the recording that you were able to get from the actual session. So I, I also but, had to get dressed too, which, you know, I oh, won't stand up, but I assure right. you I'm wearing pants. It's on the top right. and pajamas yeah, on the right. bottom nowadays. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. No, I get that. Definitely a lot of things are in flux for everybody out there. And for you as an attorney, things are different. I mean, you're practicing law differently. You're working with your clients differently. How are some of the things that have been coming up for them because of all of this overconnectedness online? I mean, everything has to be done yeah. now. So, so how does that change things? So attorneys are about the slowest moving and change people on the planet. We ask an attorney to change something and well, we still use books that are 150 years old. We don't change very easily, but the pandemic forced us to look at how we practice law and how we provide legal services to the world, to our clients, and just in general. For those that litigate, those people that you see standing up in court, the Clarence Darrow's of the world, and those people you see on Law & Order and shows like that, or L.A. Law, depending on how old we want to date ourselves, (laughs) um, you know, their world fundamentally changed. The physical distancing requirements, um, the ability of it to spread through vapor droplets and things like that, people weren't sitting in courtrooms anymore. First of all, the courts just shut down for a period of time. They just said, we're not hearing cases, we're not hearing trials, we're not going to just stop. And that's interesting because we have that pesky document called the Constitution that gives us some rights to a fair and speedy trial. Which, yeah, that's speedy yeah, part. Yeah, speedy part, which got put on hold. And so we had some due process issues. But the courts, in credit to them mm-hmm. and credit to the clerks and the county and the state and the AG's office and even the local bar associations, they got through it. You saw judges who were, a lot of judges who are not the youngest people on the planet, they got onto Zoom and they got onto Microsoft Teams and Skype and they were holding hearings online. So now, you know, when I say I'm making sure that I'm dressed, you'll see attorneys in their offices with stand-up desks, their cameras are going and they're waiting for their case to be heard. And the plaintiffs and the defendants 
are sitting in other rooms in their homes in some cases, sometimes in jail and in holding cells, but they're at home and you'll have one lawyer in her office, another lawyer in her office, maybe at home, maybe at their physical office, we don't know, and the judge is online and they just hold a hearing like they were all in the courtroom, except they're all staring at computer screens. That really changed how people looked at the process and the humanity of the process. Um, but to the credit of the state courts and the federal courts, they've done a really good job of figuring it out. It's been hectic and it's been difficult and it's caused a lot of delays, but we're working on it. And we see from the litigation side, it's going to be that way a lot more now. The courts have become so familiar with it and if they see the efficiency of not having to have people drive all over the place or sit and wait for two hours in a courtroom, they can stay at their desk in their office and work. It's really a benefit and it's going to have long-term effects, uh, hopefully positive ones. You know, the attorneys that draft contracts and things like that, well, listen, we just stared at computer screens all day long anyway, so we were antisocial to begin with, and, you know, our practices have changed minimally because everything was already digitized and we had cloud storage and things like that. But, um, you know, what it did bring up, and important to this podcast, is a security issue. What started out as, and everyone heard in March and April and May about Zoom bombing and people on authorized access, and the courts didn't want to use Zoom because it was deemed to be insecure and people could enter it and they don't know where the servers were. And then they said, oh, Microsoft Teams is more secure or Skype for Business is more secure. So it's been very interesting and I hate to say this, but a lot of people put that in the back burner and said, we've just got to provide these services and we're not going to worry about the true security side of this just yet. We'll, we'll get to there, but let's get people having hearings and let's get the gears turning again and then we'll figure out what teeth are broken. This happens all the time with security, right? It's always yeah. the snap on at the end. It's fix it later. The innovation is more important than what havoc we might be causing. And like you said, business has to happen. You know, the courts have to grind. They may be exceedingly slow, but it still has to grind. And so we can understand that. But what problems did that end up? So what we ended up happening is there was no uniformity in the system. You know, if you ever sit through a UDM class or you do some deep dives into threat vectors and cybersecurity, it's about creating a system that is repeatable, that you can keep an eye on, that is manageable. The courts decided randomly who was going to use what platform. So... Just as a simple decision of, are we going to use Microsoft Teams? Are we going to use Zoom? Are we going to use Skype? What, what are we going to use? Well, I could be in the same state, in the same county, right here in Oakland County or right in Wayne County, and my county courts are using one thing, my district courts are using another. A certain judge wants to use Zoom because she really understands it because her daughter, son, husband all taught her how to use it, and her colleague at the bench next to her wants to use Teams. You know, how do you explain that to you? I mean, I don't pick and choose when I go to court which one I'm going to use. I, I mean, I'm told in the days before all of this, it was the same courtroom. The rules were the same. The interfaces were the same. It was a podium. Everyone was the same. Judges had a little different rules for their own rights, but it wasn't wholly separate platforms. When so, you think about the security in a courtroom before, it was getting in the building. You went to yeah. the security line, you know, and you had your court officer in the front of the room to make sure everything was cool. And now it's the wild, wild west. You have everybody coming in from all over the place. And so. And, and we don't know where they're coming from. I mean, right now, you don't know where I'm sitting. I'm definitely not sitting in front of my office building, which is the backdrop that I have right now. I'm, I could be sitting anywhere. Right. Um, and I don't know who's on the other side of the camera. I could have somebody coercing me, 
coaching me? Who knows? I don't know what's going on out of frame. We don't know. So conducting things like trials have become very, very difficult. Finding jury pools and conducting jury trials, there isn't a good solution yet for that. They're working on it because it's very difficult. But as you said, in the old days, you had physical security. It was the physical security piece. Went through the metal detector, took your belt off, took your watch off, made sure you weren't carrying a firearm or something else or a phone with a camera on it, and you went into court. And that was security. Now, as you mentioned, I don't know where my attorneys are. I don't know where my judge is. Forget jurors. Just forget that. That's a vector I can't control. Where's the plaintiff and the defendant? Again, are they being coerced? Is there somebody in their house or where they're Zooming? We have no way to ensure this like we did before. The physical piece of being in the same courtroom had benefits. The virtual one is much more difficult to do. And they're trying to get through these. But again, it's a security issue. And remember, this stuff is now being broadcast all over the place. I'm Zooming from God knows what part of the world. That's being transmitted potentially over international borders, on international servers. Is it secure enough? Is it end-to-end encryption? Are we able to guarantee that witnesses or defendants are not having their civil rights violated by being publicly broadcast in, you know, fill in the blank, the South China Sea somewhere. We don't know that. Um, And that has become an issue. But again, for all its efficiencies, because it has become pretty efficient, we have security issues and the courts are doing what they can to work through them. But again, we don't know what we don't know yet. And it takes people like UDM grads, like people that are into cybersecurity, to raise their hand and say, did somebody think of that? Because we're lawyers. As a lawyer, our first mode is not, oh, is that a security issue? It's, what's the law? And we don't have the law on this yet. So we don't even have a touchstone to go to. And technology moves a lot faster than lawyers change. I mean, come on, we still use laws in this state that are hundreds of years old, that date back before we were a state. So why does anyone think that we're going to be super efficient and have new cybersecurity policies in nine months? It just doesn't work that way, Um, which is concerning. And 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 we're we're all sort of moving along on this train, though, right? I mean, everybody's doing it. So corporate and law and all of that kind of stuff. And we're kind of all discovering it at once and, you know, finding the bugs. I mean, it's, it's, again, it kind of makes you feel like a Microsoft product user where you're you're finding the problems and then reporting it back. And that's basically what's going on right now. And so you've got small and medium-sized business owners that are online and that are having problems and they're trying to just make sure that they can function tomorrow and continue to pay the payroll and add in. And yet they've got these cybersecurity issues that have been compounded, right? Yeah. And, you know, we talk about what the pandemic's done to small and medium-sized businesses, the restaurant industry, the movie theaters, you know, these good mom and pop businesses, they're in survival mode. You know, they're just trying to keep the lights on, get their employees paid, pay their bills. The last thing, unless it affects them to keeping the door open or providing services to a customer, the last thing they're thinking about is cybersecurity because they literally want to make sure they can make payroll. And it's a strict balancing act and a very difficult one when a client who I know is financially in trouble because what's going on with the pandemic and what's going on with their business to then try to say to them, hey, listen, we need to do all these things with cybersecurity. And, oh, my God. They're already in shell shock. I don't want to give them PTSD. And <laughs> to a lot of my small and medium-sized business clients, I say, listen, here's the best thing you can do. It's not going to cost you a lot of money. And they kind of sit up in their chair and they go, wait, wait, my attorney's telling me it's not going to cost me a lot of money? I go, no, it's not. <laughs> I go, let's talk about where the threats are. And as you and your husband and the rest of the world will tell you, 
the data breaches occur right here in the chip. They don't occur from China. They're not the Russians. I mean, they may be caused by them, but that's not how they get in. People aren't breaking in with brute force attacks and denial of service attacks with brute force. They're sending out a phishing email or they're sending out a watering hole scam. And guess what? I'm letting them in the front door. I'm just unlocking it and saying, here you go. And that's the human being. That's a human element of this. And I go, you can have the best security system in the world. You can do all of the most incredible things, spend hundreds of millions of dollars on cybersecurity and securing your premises. But when one of your employees opens the door and lets the guy in, all the security in the world is not going to help. Okay? Build the biggest fence, have the best weapons. But if I'm going to let you walk in the front door, then we're over. So the things that we talk about are inexpensive things. And it's creating a culture of awareness. And I'm sure in every podcast you've done, everyone talks the same thing because it's the truth. Well, I don't think we can ever hear it enough, though. I I agree. It's not like this is getting better. No. So, you know, we're all connected three times more than we ever were. And it's not slowing down any. And the bad guys definitely know we are. So please tell us about this culture that we need to have. So I look at it this way. And the pandemic has taught us a buzzword known as PPE. And, you know, we talk about personal protection equipment and, and I have to laugh. And I said, well, you know, we have some cybersecurity PPE and I go, it's kind of like a face mask. You know, wear one, wash your hands, don't touch your face, do all the right things, you know. And I go, and they're all physical and they're all things that people can understand. And I don't care if it's your support staff or it's your general manager or it's your owner. Let's talk about cybersecurity PPE. And I use that because everyone knows what PPE is and they go, Well, what do you mean, Chris? And I said, well, here, let's talk about that. Let's talk about looking at an email and being skeptical. You know, looking at where an email comes from, one of the easiest things to do, we know phishing scams are rampant right now because everybody's home. So when I'm looking at a document at home, what does it look like? You know, if you see an email from somebody that asks for things like bank information, anything that's personal or corporate financial, don't be afraid to do something super basic. Pick up the phone and call the person. What? Yeah, I know no one wants to talk because we're all social distancing or whatever you want to call it. But listen, do yourself a favor. Pick up your cell phone, call the person on the other end of that email that you know and say, hey, Karen, did you just send me an email about changing the wiring instructions for this deal? No. Didn't think so. Just wanted to make sure. Delete. Right. It's something as simple as that, and it's that culture of awareness. So empowering your employees to also feel comfortable that they have a mode of command. So I tell business owners, say, have a person or have people that if something looks funny, if you don't have your own in-house IT person, that's fine. But have pods. Have a staff member call B staff member to say, hey, and don't be afraid, and put out those emails that say, if something doesn't look right, call the person. Teach them that it's okay to do that. That they're empowered to do that. They don't have to think, well, it came from my boss, and my boss said that, that I needed to do this. I didn't send that email. Or even worse, I don't want to look stupid. Yeah, because you'll look a whole lot more stupid if $100,000 <laughs> of money you don't really have just right. went out the door. Right, when a ransomware yeah, When a ransomware attack hits, right. Yeah, yeah, don't, yeah, yeah. don't open emails you don't recognize. Right, right. Just simply put it that, and don't be afraid to say, hey, I got this weird email. It doesn't look like it came from you. I didn't send that. Okay, perfect. That's all I needed to hear. And that kind of culture of awareness. So I talk about the open communication piece and having that culture of understanding and lack of fear that goes with 
everyone's here. It's everyone's job to do it. The old adage, you know, see something, say something when you're in the airport. Back after 9-11, the buzzer was see something, say something. You're in an airport. You're in a public space. There's a package that doesn't belong to be worth. Don't be afraid to pick up the phone and call the police. You know, say something to a local security guard. We want that same kind of awareness and that culture of awareness to exist in the sphere of cybersecurity and cyberspace. The other thing I tell people is not only is it about teaching your employees to be aware, but it's also not being afraid to understand the costs behind not being updated and not having good software and good hardware and running with good technology. I'm not advocating everyone needs to go out and buy an Alienware computer and have the fastest, bestest, bestest, bestest machine on the planet um, and have high-end antivirus, but having nothing, having no antivirus, having no spyware, having no uniform policies about security, that's just as dangerous. Spend a little bit of time, bring in someone, it's not going to cost a lot, to make sure you have antivirus software. That's all. Because guess what? Back in the days before the pandemic, when I was in my office, I worked in a computer in my office. My laptop stayed there. It was on our internal network, and our IT people could keep an eye on things. Okay, and the threat vector was 201 West Big Beaver Road, Suite 600. Now that threat vector is 97 points bigger, because all 97 employees are not in the building. They're all at home or they're at their home office, or they're at their summer house, or wherever it might be. They might be on vacation. They're now using that laptop in a place that I never thought it was going to go. So having and ensuring that, one, there's something as simple as antivirus software on the computer. Two, you have physical asset tags. You have passwords when you log in. These are very basic things that will protect you, that would make you not negligent. Because a lot of attorneys today in the cybersecurity world are being able to prosecute and litigate claims that companies are negligent for not requiring password protection on the login screen. So the new day is dawning, right? Before, there was nothing set in stone about what was actually required of folks. Mm -hmm. Now there's actually a minimum standard of care that's required. And if you don't meet those, you can be held responsible. So things are different. You know, it's no longer the wild, wild west as far as your liabilities go before you could get away with an awful lot because, well, we didn't know. We didn't know any better. But it's changed, right, Chris? In the last 10 years, it's changed. Right. The legal rubric that we used to kind of have for a reasonable duty of care. But as we knew 10 years ago, what did that look like? Okay. I'm a small business owner. I do $500,000 a year. I can't spend $500,000 in cybersecurity, in insurance and pen testing and hardening my network. Microsoft will spend that in a day. So what's reasonable for Microsoft from security and securing themselves and not being negligent is entirely different than Chris's granola company. Okay. It just is. And to hold them to different standards, you have to. I can't expect a little tiny small mom and pop to spend what Microsoft spends, even though they could have just as important information. It could be a small doctor's office, which has a ton of personally identifiable information, incredible large amounts. But what's reasonable for them to do? Well, guess what? Password protecting your computers, that's reasonable. <laughs> Having antivirus, cyber that's hydrant, reasonable. Right. 
These are all cyber hygiene practices. You're right. It's cyber hygiene. I call it PPE, but it is cyber hygiene. The other one we talk about now that we have people spread out in kind of these distributed workforce models, my favorite thing to talk about there with my clients is awareness of what's around you. I'm like, what what do you mean by that, Chris? I said, well, it's very simple. I'm now on Zoom. You have no idea what's behind me. But I can look at your Zoom screen because you don't have a backdrop on, and I go, hmm, Michigan hometown cyber patriot heroes. Hmm, Detroit Mercy Cybersecurity 313 podcast. Oh, look at all that stuff in the background. Now, as a lawyer, i got to be really careful because cameras are very good now. Let me tell you, 4K resolution on these video cameras. You can read the files that are behind me if I'm not careful. You're going to find out what clients I have. Maybe I'm a doctor, and you're going to see what my patient files are. So if you're a doctor, be mindful when you're on video. What's just in the background? I mean, of course, your spouse or the dog running through, you know, the the, the backdrop. I mean, we all remember when the pandemic started on the, the BBC reporter whose child came in while he was reporting live on the BBC, who then wife came to grab the kid and the kid ran back in the room. I mean, so these things happen. We joke about them. But understanding simple physical awareness is a form of cyber hygiene because I can garner information. I can violate HIPAA. I can give out personal identifiable information and cause a breach incident by simply leaving my camera going or showing what's in the background. And it's something that we would never, ever think about. I mean, it's funny because kids are picking up on that a lot sooner because they've been on social media for much longer and are much more hip that way. Not necessarily that they're better at it or that they are careful. But they fully understand what's going on, but you're right. You understand that it's like if you've got a stuffed animal behind you while you're doing some really sexy pose or whatever, then the sexy pose is not the thing that ends up getting talked about. But it was like, what's with the big stuffed animal? You still sleep with stuffed animals when they're able to use that kind of stuff for bullying and what have you. Like you said, you never know what information they can glean from the things that you have. And like you said, being physically aware of what's going on in your background, that's a really important tip. Absolutely. 100% free. See, that that doesn't cost anyone anything. Well, it's funny. I read an article in the news a while back about a judge that was just incensed that all decorum for the courtroom had totally gone away with this whole having to be online. Because they were having courtroom discussions just with a defendant who was just laying in his bed, you know, in a pair of sweats, just hanging out, waiting for his court date and talking through his whatever. And the judge was like, they're not taking this seriously. You know, this is their life. And he's laying in bed. (laughs) I mean, you know, you want me to take you seriously when you're telling me you're not guilty and that you're an upstanding citizen and you can't even get out of bed to come to court when you don't even have to go anywhere. (laughs) So, I mean, there's an awful lot of judgments and things that are going on from just the surroundings. Just surroundings. And, 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 you know, I'm going to take it one step further. Another thing that's super easy is now that you're home with your laptop, you're working from home and Kids are going to school from home, which, as you know, I have a very young one that's not in school yet, thank God. But I cannot fathom what my colleagues and some of my staff are going through. Everybody's home. Husband, wife, with two or three kids trying to go to school. I mean, I'm a lawyer. I don't know the first thing about new math. I just don't understand it. My mother was a teacher and an administrator. My aunt was too. I'm not a teacher. How do I do that? So the stress of that is one thing I can't fathom. But let's talk about you now have your computer, a work asset at home. What is good hygiene for a work asset at home? Again, when you're sitting in your office, I don't have to worry about your kids running by and taking it off the desk, physically moving it, you know, bashing on some keys, sending an email, 
or worse yet, using it to buy something on eBay. Yeah, yeah, downloading um, an app. Downloading yeah, or download an app. Or something. I want to do something. Oh, mom's computer is really cool, or dad's computer is really neat, or dad's iPad super cool. I want to use that. Yeah. Oh, God, no. <laughs> right. You know, those kinds of things, understanding that that is a threat vector that I cannot control when it's outside my office building is something that you need to just make the comment to your employees, whether it's a short little email that says, hey, I understand you're working from home. Be mindful of what's in your background, and don't let your family members use your computer. That's a business computer. Make sure when you turn it off, you log off, you shut the lid, it goes into lock mode. And don't write your password on a sticky note and leave it on the top of the laptop. Please don't do that. And not that any of your children or your spouse will do anything intentionally malicious, but it happens. Oh, yeah. You know, even if it's they click on an email or the, the same thing, they go, they just clicked on an email because it was somebody that they knew. It was a colleague that they had a relationship with and said, oh, I see that, that Barb from the office sent you an email. <gasps> no. And that expectation needs to be laid out. Again, these are all things that cost nothing. These cyber hygiene or PPEs do not cost anything. Like, right. they're free. There's well, and many of the things that we can do, like you said, get a virus checker, you know, make sure that that's on there. And many of them have the wonderful things built in and then bundled in. Third, two-factor authentication is built yep. in. VPNs often are built right in mm-hmm. to those kinds of things. And so, you know, you're really getting a lot of bang for a little bit of buck. Yep. I think the thing that's funny about this, Chris, is that these are not new conversations. Oh, no. I mean, unfortunately, because we're people, it takes us a little while. Like you said, lawyers take a little while to sort of move along. But And people in general take a long time for us to change culture. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make security. It's not all about no, no, no. It's about enabling safety. And so the problem is not new. I mean, businesses have been talking about the Internet of Things and bringing home your laptops or bringing stuff into the office that they can't secure. But what it did was put a spotlight on it, right? Yeah. Now – the whole world is home and, and working and going to school and all those things together. And suddenly it's that much more important, yeah. you know, and the spotlight is on. And so folks like you who have some of those answers, you know, it's really important to be able to share that information with as many people as you. And I'm so glad that you do have a practice that you touch small and medium businesses, because again, those are the guys are the ones that are the most vulnerable. They don't yeah. have the money to be able to spend on this kind of stuff. And so getting advice from someone like you with the experience that you have makes a difference. And they'll listen, too. So, it's, I mean, it's a little bit different when your mom tells you you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that. And you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. There she goes again or whatever. But when someone with a little bit of a background in the area says, uh, you know, you maybe shouldn't do that, then people like, oh, okay. You know, I mean, this guy maybe knows what he's talking about, mom. You know, she may have said the same exact thing. Oh, I, I'm sure she does. I, I'm right. sure your IT person does too. Well, that's I, the I, thing. That I mean, and that's exactly it. And it's not like companies haven't been doing spam. Oh, yeah, the spam and, checkers. And, and, and doing and all the, kinds of checking their employees. Like, you know, they'll send them stuff to see how well they're doing and see if they click and all the things that you do to help the awareness thing. But employees have gotten to where they're just not paying any attention to it or – your monthly cybersecurity training, you know, and they sit there and they just click through it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same thing as it was last week, only the questions are in a different order. I'll just click through it. It's over. And then it just goes in one ear and out the other. Yep. But real circumstances and real ransomware problems. And the thing is, is that the crooks know this, that we're globally all online now and we're not secure behind all bunches of VMs like we used to be and, and, and. And they're doubling down on their efforts. Uh, if I was a criminal, I would too. 
I mean, this is, this is a, you know, to use a wonderful uh, Top Gun reference to also oh. date myself, this is a target-rich environment. This is one of the things where, like Internet of Things was being preached in the world of InfoSec, you know, we're going to put 200 billion more IP addresses online like that, which is just more places to hit. Well, guess what? As I said before, I had 95 people inside a building where their IT infrastructure was. And I can control that threat vector. That's pretty concise. I can keep an eye on that. All the emails coming through, a couple IP addresses, I can watch all that. My firewall can control all that inside my office. Now I have 95 people in their homes on God knows what router or what piece of equipment, how old it is. Again, for most of the people that listen to this, they probably know what I'm going to refer to as the old blue and black Linksys routers that we all had 15 years ago. I will say one of my very good friends was at home. an opener for corporations. And and they're using this, and he keeps saying, Chris, whenever I go on Skype or whenever I'm on Zoom, my bandwidth is horrible. It gets all choppy and nothing works. Well, I called Comcast, and I'm paying, you know, $150 a month for the fastest Internet. And I go, okay, what are you doing? He goes, well, I have a Linksys router. I'm like, oh, cool. Which one? He goes, I don't know. It's blue and black and has two antennas on it. And I go, it's what? I go, did you get that from the Smithsonian? <laughs> it's a collector's item. I go, would you go out, go to Best Buy, go on Amazon, spend 70 bucks, right. buy a new router, Wi-Fi router, and plug it in? And lo and behold, what happened? Not only did he not have any more problems, but I also had the confidence that he was more secure because he had something that had new firmware on it that wasn't 20 years old. And for um, him, I'm sure he was loving it because it was now screaming hot fast. Yeah, yeah. Was, and, and I go, so what you've done is you just put diesel in your brand new Corvette. <laughs> so can we put regular high-grade 93-octane fuel in that, please? Because you're going to be happier. But again, it um, wasn't this big, huge thing. But again, we don't realize how many of these things that at work they think of naturally, but when they go home, mm-hmm. it's not the same. And they keep thinking this thing about, well, I don't have anything anybody wants. I'm just a lowly middle management for something, right. and nobody wants anything oh. from me. So I don't need to worry about it. And now I'm working from home, and it's no big deal that I didn't change the password when Comcast gave me my account. And the name of my wireless is my last name, yeah. you know. All and my stuff. street address. It's like, right, oh. right, right, right. No, it, it, all that stuff is just okay because what's the deal? I don't have any crown jewels to protect, right, as we talk about it with corporate. But now suddenly, like you said, corporate is in those 98 different places suddenly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. now the crown jewels are spread out, and I can access the crown jewels from 98 different places. I used to only get from one. Right. And so, so you're on the hook, right? I mean, the yeah. thing is, is that that's the point, is that now that only has made things more difficult for folks that work in this space to try to do those kinds of things. But again, we're all in this together, right? So every little bit works. I mean, because we're all on one team... We have to make sure that we're all doing it. And again, like you said, that our UK friends always talk about the soft, squishy bits that's in the chair between the keyboard and the monitor. <laughs> that's all the problems in the world. We have to take some responsibility for yeah. what we're doing. I mean, we are collecting the paycheck. So, yeah, right. you know. And that carbon device between the keyboard and the chair is, as we know, the biggest problem. And again, like defeating COVID and, and like attacking a pandemic, I'm going to say something that to me is incredible. I'm going to reframe this whole pandemic COVID thing. Never in my lifetime, nor in my research history of the world, has the human condition and people across the globe and the brightest minds of the world come up with a vaccine for a disease 
in less than a year. The amount of human capital, the amount of human intelligence that has gone in to this one thing globally is unfathomable to me. I mean, take a step back and think about the incredibleness of the group of people doing this. Well, what it was, was accomplished by that group, absolutely, yeah. in the time that it was accomplished. You know, they can do miraculous things. Yes. You know, and, they can and, do and, absolutely and I, stupid things, and they can do oh, miraculous things, absolutely. right? And I bring that up because that is the same way we create cyber defense. It's a disease. It's a pandemic in the most unique form and no different than COVID-19. It is an amorphous monster and when people get behind it, the humans get behind it and brain power and they want to solve the problem, they will. Mm-hmm. It was sharing information. It was, you know, putting aside socio-political, geopolitical borders to come up with a solution. We've got Oxford, you know, working with the, you know, with, with, with the South Americans and with INSEAD. You have with American universities and with Pfizer and, and, and Moderna. You have this global force to do it. And, that happened because there was communication. That happened because there was teamwork and people had a goal of eradicating the bad. It's no different here. We are a team. We are in this together. Cybersecurity threats at the small and medium sized and even corporate level are going to happen. The teamwork, the belief of a group of people that we're going to overcome this. We're going to fight this together. We're going to come up with resolutions together because if it's going to affect me. It's going to affect you. It's going to affect everybody. And we don't want the global economy to shut down. We don't want trade to shut down. I don't want to lose 50 bucks, you know, get stolen off my credit card right. or be held at ransomware. And the only way we can do that is through teamwork, through an understanding that we're in this together, everybody. We're not an island. Sharing information, data breach information with your colleagues is not a bad thing. You know, I also talked about this in something interesting that I spoke on to a group of lawyers. Many people now are buying cyber liability insurance. Mm-hmm. If you have it, pick up the phone and call the people that sold it to you or pick up the phone and call me and, and have them look at your policy. Because when the policy was written that was pre-COVID, when it was an identifiable risk in an office, in a location, and you had an insured location being your office building, guess what? Your insured location is now fill in the blank how many computers in how many homes across the globe. So you um, may not be covered? You it's... may not have coverage. Holy moly. So you could be paying $3,000 a year and you might as well just like that money on fire because mm-hmm. it's not going to help. So be mindful if you do. And that was something I wanted to make sure I brought up before when we oh, talked about things sure. you can do that are free. Before this, this ended, it was very important. Kind of a golden nugget here is question your insurance policy. And make sure that your insurance policy covers a work-from-home situation. Oh, my goodness. That's so important, especially since everything that I'm getting from education, everything I'm getting from industry is that we're not going to go back to what was normal. Right. Right. We're going to go to some kind of blended kind of thing here where we can rotate in and out and keep the costs down and productivity up and all that kind of lovely stuff. 
That's something that we aren't aware of, that we aren't paying attention to. And again, the insurance is pretty new, right? Well, yes, it is. And I could go on a diatribe for the next three hours about cyber liability insurance and what you think it covers and what it actually covers are very different. (laughs) But that's a whole whole other discussion. We could do another podcast about that. general is pretty scary to the normal person, which is why we need our lawyers to be able to give us those kinds of advices. And that's why we're glad that you studied so hard and you did all that. And then you did the dual thing by doing the cybersecurity on top of. And so you're an amazing asset for anybody that gets to hang out with you and find out that you have both of those lenses that you look through rather than just one. It makes a big difference. And I have to say that insurance thing was just an amazing nugget. And then the other piece I think is that we're all in this together and that everything that we're all doing is going to affect all of us. And so we really have to work towards that understanding of no more is it just the IT guy, no more is it just the security guy's problem, you know, no more pointing fingers at somebody that doesn't have an idea about whatever. It's really all of us in this together, and we have to make it a culture where that's clear, right, and and we are all in this together. I think one of the other things that COVID has brought out is how many people have lost jobs, how precious it is to have a paycheck. How precious it is that your company is still open and that can do it online and still function. I have half of my kids that can stay home and half that have to still go in. So every day they're exposed. You know, it's a different world that we live in. But again, what you said is it brings us back to us that we're all humans. We're all in this together, but we can do so much together. Yeah. As we have seen, working with you and working with the steering committees and even working with clients, and I spoke at a Zoom seminar for 70 law firms across the country. Actually, three of the 70 were actually in Europe, so I guess across the globe. And we're all experiencing the same problems. You know, when I'm hearing from a Lithuanian law firm that the same issue I have is the same one they have, and they're on the other side of the world, that brings me back to my point of we're in this together. And advice that I have and counsel and ideas and best practices that I'm using or I'm suggesting are just as applicable whether you speak my language or not. And I realize that, too. Stuff that they're using in Lithuania could be very effective. Some of the cybersecurity practices we were talking about them using, they were looking at going to, I think, the Cisco cloud system where it's a DNS system and you're able to monitor and restrict DNS access for remote computers going through a Cisco DNS cloud server. So it allowed them to kind of lock down all the computers that were at home and monitor websites that they could go to, i.e. restrict websites they couldn't go to. They couldn't go to porn sites or they couldn't go to certain social media sites, etc. or they'd be notified if they were going there. So if there was spyware or ransomware or there was some hijackware on it, why are you going to this website? That's on a blacklist. Like, what? That's on a whitelisted site. What's that doing there? And they would be notified very quickly. Again, that's a simple, easy technology that can help a lot of small and medium-sized businesses for not a lot of money. Right. And by sharing that information, now all 70 of those folks oh, who yeah. are online are now going to be able to tell all of their client base that exact thing. And so, again, it's that sharing of information. And that's why we have this podcast. That's why it's so exciting to have you on here. I've had a lot of folks over the last year talk to me, and some of them even say some of the same things that you've mentioned, but with a different lens. and a different approach. And we need all that input because this is not a small problem. It's not going away tomorrow. No. And so we truly appreciate that you took the time out to talk about this and to be as engaged as you are about this. 
It's my pleasure, and again, I have the benefit of being a lawyer and also being able to speak geek when I can translate when necessary. <laughs> As we know, uh, IT folk tend to speak a different language than most business owners, and then you throw in a lawyer. Do you do in there a lot of interpretations for them so that you can? I know I, yes. do, I play that game a lot where I'm the yep. interpreter. What the geek meant to say was <laughs> until the day when we have, which I think is going to come very soon, that little device that was in the Jetsons where the lawyer walked in with this looked like a little speaker box, and lawyers spoke into speaker box, and out of the speaker came English. Um, and until we have that, I will do my best to continue to translate and shirk up people through all of this. And again, if the future down the road, if you see the need or if you get some posts that say they're really interested, we can talk about cyber liability insurance. Absolutely. I'm happy to, to talk about that, too, because, as I said, what most people think it covers is not what it covers. You actually got me thinking. So, you know, I have another hat where I just became the program coordinator for InfraGuard at the state level. And we're having a conference coming up at the beginning of summer. And so I think if we had an attorney panel on cybersecurity, that might be quite an interesting show. I think so. I could also help wrangle up some people. I know some colleagues in other firms. Right. I would right. be happy I think to. That, that would be interesting to see all of our security people and the lawyer panel and compare some of these notes that, like you said, I think that they're taking some solace out of the fact that we have insurance, but maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe too much. Uh, maybe they need to have a little eye opener on all of that. So we appreciate that you are such an amazing asset for us as one of our alum. Well, it is, it is my pleasure. I will say there are some very interesting people in that room and to, to just bask in the limelight of some of those people that are also alum and the amazing things they're doing across the country and across the globe for that matter is impressive to be part of that alumni network and be part of that kind of alum group is quite an honor. Some very cool people out there. We are very fortunate. I mean, we have a great group. And the fact that everyone gives back the way they do to the university is just a blessing to us as well. And I mean, and that just helps, right? Because I know that you're going to want to retire someday. Um, (laughs) So we do want folks that are going to be able to fill in for us, you know, so that we can go out to the pasture at some point. And so the new crop is always good to help them along. So We appreciate your time. Thanks so much for sharing all this with us. And I'm going to say to you, not only am I going to tap you for some things with my InfraGuard folks statewide, but I think we'll definitely have to have you back on the show and give us some updates after things kind of settle down a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Well, And I look forward to it. And again, I'm always happy to help. My pleasure. And thank you for the opportunity to, you know, kind of get on my soapbox for a little bit. It's always fun. Absolutely. Thanks so much. You've been listening to the Detroit Mercy Cybersecurity 313 podcast with today's guest, Chris Martella from the Kemp Klein Law Firm. If you would like more information on today's discussion, please contact Center Director Tamara Shoemaker by emailing shoematl at udmercy.edu. And please plan to join us again for the next edition of the Detroit Mercy Cybersecurity 313 podcast.